So you're going to eat pot brownies. Yeah. (laughs) They're not pot brownies. They're just regular brownies. But I might eat three of them, which would equal like three three glasses of wine. That's about what I've had. I don't know. They just pour it. You don't know. Hey, welcome to Marginally, a podcast about writing, work, and friendship. I'm Megan, a librarian turned freelance book indexer and proofreader working on a novel while raising two boys with my husband and making PB&Js by the dozen. And I'm Olivia, a corporate drone living in Eastern Europe, also working on a novel and daydreaming about lots of other projects. Today we have something exciting, a conversation with our first guest, and this is also really our first normal episode. Uh, so this is sort of out of the intro introductory four episodes where we talked about our main themes and really getting into kind of the day-to-day of both our kind of scheduled uh, guest appearances and content that we have planned and we're excited to bring you. And also we're going to start doing, as we discussed before, some mixing it up between longer episodes and then shorter episodes that are focused on crafts or writing. Because let's be honest, with everything we have on our plates, there there is no way we can keep up the pace of an hour-long episode every single week. It has been tough, but also fun. Super and fun. But we also think we want to get people involved more in a, co- a community and a conversation and start to share our work. I think it would be really fun to do that. So uh, our first guest is Sigrun Davidsdottir, who's a journalist and novelist from Iceland, and she's one of my really good friends in London, and we are very excited to have her on the podcast because she has written a lot of different things. So she started off, as she'll explain a little bit more later, writing cookbooks, and she's an amazing cook. I can attest to that from the dinners I've had at her house, often after a few drinks of wine. Um, but she's a fantastic cook and just a really great conversationalist, uh, which I think goes really well with good cooking. And then she started writing with children's book or kind of an older children's book. And she's written novels that are kind of more about love and life. And she's also written a thriller novel that's based on some of her more investigative journalism reporting. And now she's working on a historical novel as well. So she has so many different interests. And, it, and we really love the way that she takes an approach to balancing her day job, which is investigative journalism, especially covering financial services and corruption and fraud from in Iceland, but it affects really a lot of different places in the world. So if you look at her reporting, some of her Icelandic ties that she talks about go into American politics currently going on. I won't mention any names. <laughs> uh, and, and also Eastern Europe, which is how I originally met her. So we were talking about Eastern Europe and Icelandic corruption, and we just started kind of bonding in real life. And we've talked a lot about writing and about books. I'm super excited for Sigrun to join us. So welcome to the show, Sigrun. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks very much for agreeing to be our first guest as well. We're super excited to have you on the podcast. So as you know, our podcast is about having a day job and also having a writing or creative project that you do on the side. So first of all, can you tell us about what you do as your day job and what you do on the side? What are your projects? Well, my day job is being a journalist and uh, I can't really complain about having a boring job. Being sort of an investigative journalist is really interesting and it's kind of the job that is all consuming in the sense that you're always thinking about the stuff that you're working on. So you could say that 
in that sense, it's not the ideal thing to do with anything else. And I think that's also something I have noticed. But at the same time, there is something in me that makes me want to write fiction, to, to do other things. So, yeah, so, so basically my day job is investigative journalism. And uh, on the side of that, I have over many years done some uh, creative writing as well. And you've done three or four different types of projects. So could you tell us about what you're working on now and also what you've worked on in the past? Well, many years ago, the first thing actually I did was to write a children's book. And that was sort of, you know, at the beginning of time, that was when I was in my 20s. And I just loved the experience. I can still remember sitting with my uh, with my writing pad and writing. I just loved that experience. I loved the experience of sort of thinking about people, thinking about thinking about how people react, how think all these things that you you take up in in uh, in fiction. So at the time, I just thought, yes, I will do that later on, and that time really didn't that later on didn't really come until much later and then I had sort of several things I was thinking of but the the first book I wrote was uh was a novel it's a love story it was published in Iceland in 2006 it's a love story about a woman who lives uh, an Icelandic woman who lives in New York and it's kind of two stories uh, going on at the same time. And then, so that, as I say, was published in 2006. The next thing I did was a sort, sort of a financial thriller, uh, which was published again in Iceland in 2011. And that actually takes some of the things that I had been working on as a journalist, because that is a, a, is a thriller, but with the collapse of the Icelandic banks in the background. And I had at that time been working on that very intensely exactly that topic the Icelandic banks collapsed in 2008 for the moment I'm right I'm I'm working on something which I've been doing you know oh, for far too long <laughs> but uh, that's again something entirely different it's a historical novel which takes place in Italy in the beginning of the 18th century it's nothing to do with Iceland it's about music and love and hate and jealousy and beauty so you know the small stuff in life <laughs> just the small things right <laughs> it's funny last week we were talking on the podcast about how these big ideas that underlie our projects are so hard to express so it's like this horrible question for a writer what is your book about and it's like you know it's about the meaning of life or peace or something like that it's a super hard question to answer anyway so what I think is amazing about your different projects is how different they are are and so you were talking about how you're sitting down with your writing at the very beginning when you you know when you first started writing fiction and how that felt what made you sit down in the first place and write fiction anyway I think it was just my love really of telling stories I had I had children at the time and uh, this was a children's book not for small children but sort of let's say, from the age of 8, 9 until 12, 13. And I just love telling stories and I loved telling my son's stories. So that's really how I started. I had studied old Icelandic literature and this children's book takes on a topic from that. I mean, it's a story that happens in modern times, in our times, in the times that the book was written, but it refers to one of the Icelandic sagas. And so, yeah, it's just the love of 
telling stories, really. But really, that's such a big literary tradition in Iceland, you know? So, I mean, do you think about that when you're writing? No pressure or anything. Um, but Iceland has this amazing storytelling tradition that's a huge part of literature. And the way that, you know, storytelling is just a huge part of the culture. For example, I've been reading Independent People lately. One of my absolute favorite books in the whole wide world. Yes, I'm sure that uh, it did affect me, uh, you know, obviously growing up in Iceland, knowing that people are interested in storytelling, literature is a huge big part of being Icelandic. But then as I moved away from Iceland, uh, lived in Denmark, now live in London, I've, I think, come to realize that everywhere, you know, storytelling is important. It's just different how much it sort of figures in the media or figures in the awareness of the nation, but it is important everywhere and has always been. I mean, stories have been with human beings as long as we can see. So I think the importance has always been there. It's just how much it's noticed by, let's say, the, you know, the ruling class, the media, the elites, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Those people who kind of direct or, or uh, uh, you know, tell us what is important. I do have one question about about you said you you started writing when your children were small and then you mentioned that there was you you said you would get to it someday and then that there was a big gap and so I'm curious how you kept your hopes for writing more later alive in the time when you were doing other things. I don't think I had any particular hopes of doing it. I just somehow knew that I would want to return to the state of mind later at some point. I did actually, for a long time, write poetry as well. I published, I think, a few poems, but I've never sort of put any emphasis on it. So, you know, during the time when I wasn't really writing fiction, I was actually writing because I was writing poetry, Hmm. which is a very different, I think, for me at least, very different state of mind. I love doing it. And, you know, would I... What would I choose if I could choose, you know, writing poetry or fiction? I I can't really say. I mean, for the time being, I'm absolutely taken up by fiction. But I, I absolutely love this other way of writing, which is which is poetry. I just really liked how you work in those different forms. I mean, I haven't written poetry since I wrote a very well-regarded poem in my family to my grandfather when I was about nine years old. <laughs> But to go back to this central question about your day job and what you're trying to do creatively, what do you think your day job gives you that you wouldn't give from being a full-time fiction writer? What do you think you get from your day job? I get a lot of thrill from it. And there is also this sense that, you know, you are working on something that's very relevant and something that maybe not many other people are doing or... You know, you are looking at things which are otherwise maybe ignored, something like that. You know, I'm not going to say that I have this, you know, huge sense of social responsibility in terms of of my journalism. I mean, that, uh, you know, I'm not a very serious person in, you know, in that sense. You know, I don't have a very strong sense of my huge importance in the grand scheme of of the world not at all <laughs> uh, but but there is still you know there is still something which I find very satisfying in in doing journalism also I am extremely curious you know I think you know my my sons have sometimes said that you know I'm embarrassingly curious um, because I just <laughs> love asking questions and being a journalist, 
obviously gives you the perfect justification for that. You know, you're supposed to ask questions and wow, that suits me very, very well. <laughs> I absolutely... <laughs> yeah, it's your job. It's my job, yeah. And, uh, I, and I have to say, you know, I... Although, you know, I, I definitely can talk a lot. I mean, there's no there's no lack of that. But I've never quite understood people who are so fond of themselves that they, you know, they're not curious about other people. You know, what a, what a sad and boring life it must be. Because after all, I mean, if there's one person in the world, you know, pretty well, it's probably yourself. And, you know, not being interested in sort of widening your horizon is something I find very difficult to understand. So, yeah, you know, being a journalist, it's perfect for my curious, inquisitive nature. But then, obviously, being a writer, you can be curious in different ways. You can explore things. You can try to figure things out, build a story and sort of, you know, make your own world of curious things that you can just then hope that uh, the reader will find curious and interesting as well. Yeah, and I was just thinking about how really that philosophy bleeds over into how you lead your whole life. So we've sort of bonded in the past about questions about corruption and investments in Eastern Europe. But I think, you know, you're curious about so many different things and that's how you live. And that's why it's so fun to be around you or at least you know, that's why it's fun for me to be around you. Could you tell us a bit more about how much time your day job takes up versus how much time you have for other creative projects? Well, ideally, my day job sort of takes all my time. So doing the writing has always consisted really in sort of the creative writing elbowing, kind of using my elbows to push other things away. It definitely takes a mental force in some way to to make space for the creative writing. Mm -hmm. I've tried all kinds of <laughs> uh, methods, but the one which is persistently the best is basically to roll out of bed in the morning and start writing, you know, start, start doing the creative writing and then set the clock mm -hmm. and work for two hours without doing anything else. That is definitely the best thing, you know, people, will tell you different things, you know, are you satisfied with writing a certain amount of words or time? For me, definitely time is the most important thing because normally if I sit down to write, it's because I've already sort of figured out in my mind what and how and so on. So once I start writing, I normally find it very easy to, to write on. So time is much more important than uh, figuring out X number of words. Sure. I mean, we're big proponents of morning writing for the same reason. It's mm -hmm. the only time you can really predict and protect your schedule. I mean, for me, I don't have anybody from my day job bothering me. Or, for example, I turn my phone on airplane mode, so I don't know if I need to know about something. Uh, and that kind of protects that time. Absolutely, yes. And, and then, you know, when I'm doing that, I try to wake up earlier than normal. Mm -hmm. So to write from, I don't know, seven to nine or, or eight to 10, something like that. Something, you know, normally I can't necessarily write much after 10 because then I would just need to be doing other things. But definitely these early hours, they are worth gold. Absolutely. Mm. And well, definitely. and your brain is fresh as well. Yes. And it's also this, the, I mean, it's much easier to sort of have unencumbered time at that point. I have also tried writing in the evening and I found that, well, I, I'm actually quite good sort of late at night. I also like that. But that just means that uh, you can't use your evenings for anything else. So 
when I were when I've been doing that, it just meant that I wasn't going out at all, and uh, I kind of miss that. So, you know, out of two things, the morning time ha- is much better. That sounds very much like my experience. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think a lot of people will will say the same thing that there is something about starting right away in the morning. It is nice to hear somebody say that they're not naturally, you know, you're not naturally a morning person or that you have to get up earlier than you ordinarily would rather than it being this this automatic I wake up for Yes, and- <laughs> well, I mean, I, I unfortunately I'm a sort of, you know, I would I would love to be an A person, but I am actually much more of a B person. But I have mm. kind of just out of experience made the choice of trying to not work too late in in the evening because actually I find the the mornings more protective but I would love to sit until three o'clock but I just hate to wake up very late so you know (laughs) out of having to make the choices uh yeah early morning it's great yeah and I feel lucky that I'm not one of those people that just literally can't function until a certain time of day I have some colleagues like that really the only thing that I can't do is like 3 p.m probably so Yes, yeah, but I, I, I kind of think that a lot of these things are, you know, it is a, it's about choice, you know, because as I say, I'm not a natural a person, not at all, much more <laughs> of a night owl. But uh, yeah, I kind of, I wouldn't say forced myself because I mean it's not been, it's not, it's not unpleasant, but it's been a conscious effort, let's say. Yeah, that makes sense. So, what happens? Do you work every day or? When you have a project, do you have an intense period where you write every day or how do you kind of organize your time? It depends on really where I'm at in the process. If I am starting to write a novel, as I say, I normally don't start until I have some sort of an idea, at least where to start. That's very much like I write articles or the the pieces I do for the radio. Once I have the first lines, it's easy for me to continue I've never quite been, I I know some writers, they start somewhere in the middle and then, you know, work backwards and forwards. I can't really do that. I just have to have some fixed point to start. But once I have the starting point, it doesn't mean that I know where I will end up, not at all. And I would actually find that rather boring. Uh, I know some people, some writers plan things out very carefully. I wouldn't like to do that. I, I need to start sort of, knowing where I'm starting from, but I don't know where I'm going. So to begin with, when I'm doing the first draft, I write in hand. I don't write on my computer. I write in longhand. So I, you know, I have a writing pad. And then I have realized I really can't write for maybe much longer than, well, sort of max two hours. I don't know why that is, but then I just find that I start to be less detailed I try to go too quickly so then I have to stop <laughs> so that's kind of you know the first draft is like that then the the second draft is really to insert it into the computer sometimes I do it along the way because it's just not a very I don't find it a, an easy thing to sit with a let's say 100 pages of handwritten <laughs> notes and uh, having to insert that all I mean that that is just uh, makes my heart weep uh, just the thought of doing that so I, I tried to you know write maybe 10 15 20 pages and then insert it into the computer then I can work longer hours if if I have them and then once I kind of start to rework to work on the on the manuscript 
or you know the whole book then i can work for much longer and then it's also easier kind of to take it up and drop it and go back and forth but uh you know that's never ideal but you know just to to give you an idea that each stage in the writing process has its own rhythm yeah no i think i totally agree that i found the same thing um, this is sort of, I guess, off script, but we don't really have a script anyway. Um, but one of the myths I hear a lot, and maybe this is just my insecurity, but what about this idea that, you know, some writers just get, find themselves getting super inspired and then, you know, they got hit with an idea and then they just like work all night and they finish their novel all in this amazing burst of creativity and they never stop writing for that period of time. Has that ever happened to you? Well, I've never met such a person, I have to say. <laughs> but I think that, uh, I mean, I, I've heard about this. I think uh, Georges Simenon, who, who wrote the uh, detective novels, I think he, he worked something like that. But I don't know. I mean, I, no, I, I wouldn't be able to, uh, not at all. As I say, you know, when I'm starting on something, I can only write for a relatively short period of time every day. So this idea of, I mean, oh my God, I mean, I can't even begin to imagine what it feels like I would be so I'm so drained after after these you know two or three hours as I say when I'm doing the first draft because I don't know why and I often think you know what a wimp I am I mean why can this be so difficult after all you're just sitting there and thinking and writing but there is something about this process which I wouldn't say I find it difficult but I find it quite draining which is why I can't keep, yeah, it's quite strenuous. I can't keep the concentration needed for much more than, you know, two, max three hours. (laughs) Well, that's good to hear because sometimes I think I'm not a really good writer or I'm not really even a writer because I've never had one of those moments where I just, you know, forgot to go to work because I got so inspired or something. (laughs) That's never happened to me either. (laughs) I'm going to do a poll on Instagram. That made me think of some, speaking of writing myths and, I guess, endurance, do you write every day? No, no, I don't, not at all, because I don't have really, uh, I, I, yeah, I don't really have the time and I don't really have, you know, at times I don't even have the discipline to do it because I kind of fall in and out of my regular discipline. And one thing which I don't find very good uh, in terms of writing but uh, I have to live with it I travel a lot and I don't think that's very good because it uh, tears you out of your daily routine and for me the daily routine is really important so traveling tears me out of that I'm maybe staying with friends or I'm maybe somehow involved in activity while I'm traveling which kind of takes me out of that routine so that's not good at least I don't find that inducing for, for writing. But I have at times gone somewhere else to write. And that's been brilliant. I mean, I have you know stayed with friends and they knew that I was writing and there was no problem about that. Another thing, I have borrowed flats from friends and, and stayed there while they were away, which I also thought was good. Because then you are in a different place. So, you know, you're enjoying something else, but you are still mainly working. And if I do that, I can't be like a tourist. I'm not going around, you know, I find one cafe and I go there (laughs) and have my coffee, you know, after writing or, or and then I go back to the flat or I take walks. But 
it's not for doing anything else. So, you know, I'm not going to museums. I'm not doing any uh, interesting activity. I am basically just focused on, on uh, working. So in terms of, you know, traveling and writing, it's fine if the traveling is, is totally adapted to the fact that I'm writing. But a lot of the time I'm traveling for something else. I'm traveling for work or, or uh, yeah, so, something that's nothing to do with the writing. And, and that's, I find that actually quite distracting, but uh, okay, it's there. I'm not complaining, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's, that's a fact. But do you try to work or do you just accept that you're not going to get any work done? Or, you know, how do you balance that? I normally just accept it because, I mean, trying to fit writing into, you know, rhythm that's not really, or where the, where the writing doesn't really fit in, I just find that strenuous and uh, it's, it's just too much effort. And, and basically it's just too irritating when, you know, when it doesn't work out. So I, you know, I've lived long enough to know what works out and what doesn't. So, you know, with time you learn all these things and, and that's great uh, because you get the experience, you know what works for you and what doesn't. And then you just, you know, you adapt your life to that. And that's really good, I have to say. <laughs> Um, okay, shifting gears a little bit. Do you have a time when you were just having a really hard time working on your project and you just sort of wanted to give up? Could you tell us about what kept you going? Or maybe, you know, you quit. That could also be interesting for us to hear about. Well, if I've had that time, that kind of uh, experience, I've totally forgotten about it. That <laughs> well, I mean, yes, there, uh, there have been, but I've never kind of... I mean, I, I know people talk about writer's block. I've never kind of sensed that, oh, my God, you know, now I'm, you know, my, my mind is blocked and I can't go on. I, I always think that, OK, I don't quite know how to proceed, but the thing is just to keep uh, keep thinking about it. And it, I know from experience that, you know, th this problem will be solved at some point. So I normally try to, you know, keep on sketching something or trying to figure out and I can't really remember I have ever stopped. I mean, with this historical novel that I'm working on, I mean, that is a wholly different process from normal writing, I find. Mm -hmm. But with that, I had actually taken a long time to read a lot about the, the period that I was interested in. And I didn't really start to write until I felt I was well enough into that world but as i say writing historical novel um, is well slightly uh, i would say a, a somewhat different process from the other writing where you are basically just in your own world i mean that is the world that you are actually living in i mean modern or contemporary days and uh, you know you use you know that people walk into a room and they turn on the light by you know clicking the switch it's different in the you know 18th century, the whole way of living in a house, for example, was different. Mm -hmm. So I find that interesting. But what I, yeah, I mean, I, I remember when I was working on this thriller, I, I did at some point not quite know where to take it. And, uh, but as I say, it, 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 well, I'm sure it felt frustrating at the time, but I mean, it was not, it wasn't anything that I was worried about. I just knew that, okay, time will re resolve this. Not that, you know, time was working on my side. It's just that, you know, your mind is working on it. So it, it's difficult, it's difficult to generalize, but then I think in, in general, you know, if, if you feel that you can't go on because you don't know how to go on, well, 
you just need to think about it. <laughs> so, I mean, there is, you know, there is no, there is no magic solution. It just means that while perhaps the story has taken you into a different territory than you had anticipated, and then you just need to acquaint yourself with that territory and you know you will find your way i'm sure that most writers you know will tell you well i'm i know of course that you know sometimes people start something and they give up on it maybe you know it's because it was never the right thing for you or maybe it will come later something like that so again you know i wouldn't be i wouldn't be panicking it's just a question of time well, yes, I've also discovered something yeah. similar, obviously, with time, but it is hard to remember when I'm in the moment and I just get really frustrated. Yes. And I mean, frustration won't fix it anyway. So, I mean, do something else. Think about something else. Leave it for a while, because, you know, if there is one thing that won't fix it, it's frustration. But uh, so you you just have to to allow your mind to sort of soar again, to to go rumbling somewhere and yeah, not to not to worry about it. Well, good advice, really. So the last couple of questions that we have are really about, we have a whole theme about motivation versus inspiration. So motivation is, in our opinion, kind of why you're doing writing overall, what keeps you disciplined or coming back. And I think we've sort of touched on that in relation to your curiosity. But inspiration is more like a drug or something that you read or hear that makes you really want to write. Do you have anything that makes you want to go, you know, run off and write something that really inspires you to get writing? No, nothing external. I mean, what inspires me to to write is just, I mean, the enormous well-being that is connected to to write uh, to writing in my mind. And I mean, when I say well-being, it's not sort of, you know, comfortable nirvana, I mean, not at all. <laughs> it's just that an extremely interesting mental space to be in you know it it's it can be sort of tortuous it can be difficult frustrating all of these things but it's just uh, i mean how to explain it it it's just so good to be there in spite of all the you know or the horrors that can go with it <laughs> that i just i mean that is really what motiv- motivates me but there is one thing i, I wanted to mention which is extremely uh, different from you know in terms of journalism and creative writing and then you know if you are a creative writer the, the, the kind of writer that I have been where nobody was really waiting for me to finish uh, except well when I when I once had you know contacted the publisher and you know I, I knew he was waiting for it but I mean it, that takes a long time before you reach there or be, before you get there and what uh, what I often miss in the creative writing is that oh Jesus I wish there was a deadline you know because I love deadlines I've never understood why people complain about them I mean if there's one thing that keeps me going in terms of journalism that's deadlines you know I know that people are waiting for me to finish and I mean boy is that uh, something that pushes you to to work so I miss that in the creative writing but I have kind of I have a few friends who who know that I'm writing. They sort of follow what I'm doing. And I sometimes have kind of set up a plan with them saying, you know, in a month's time, I will have to show you this and that. And that helps a lot. Uh, I mean, I I can almost get tears in in my eyes when I think about those friends because, I mean, they are so, so important. And, you know, they, they don't need to be involved in your writing but it's just that somebody is waiting for you to do this 
I find enormously helpful. Hmm. Yeah, I think having people that you can be accountable to is also really helpful. But uh, but but in in terms of inspiration, I mean, it's it's not that I, you know, I don't need a special place. I don't need this and that. I just need time, and I need myself to give me that time because nobody else is going to do it. So you know, it 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 puts a lot of pressure on yourself. But as I say, you know, it's all for the for the good cause of being in this mental state of writing and just to be involved with words on paper or you know words yeah. on on screen i mean it's just so satisfying there's nothing like it yeah. even the frustrations can be exhilarating sometimes yes yeah no absolutely and then you know once you've solved the problem i mean boy that's exhilarating i mean that just feels so yes. good so you mentioned having some friends that you've shared shared your writing with and clearly yes. um, being published people know about it but how much of your writing life do people know in relation to your day job and how much the other way around? In terms of being a writer and a journalist, I, I'm only, you know, my books have only been published in Iceland and I can absolutely tell you they were no success at all because <laughs> they did not sell very well. So I, I can't say that I'm kind of burdened with the fame and expectations of a popular writer, not at all. Whereas, you know, with, with my journalism job, because I've been at it for such a long time, I work for the state broadcaster. So I am, you know, people will know me if they know me at all, they will know me as a journalist. So I wouldn't say there is any sort of competition between these two things in terms of how I am seen. I mean, I am simply known as a journalist <laughs> uh, and some people will know that I also do something else, uh, you know, that I also write. But as I say, there is... Not very much demand for that, let's say. <laughs> but I actually did start my writing career by writing cookbooks. So I, you know, at the beginning of time when I was in my early 20s, I wrote three cookbooks. And people have, act and they sold very yes, well. Yes, they do. So I've, I've often been asked, you know, aren't you going to write more cookbooks? Uh, there's a certain demand for that, let's say. But I mean, there are so many people doing that. So, I mean, I don't, yeah, I, I feel no urge. I love cooking and, uh, and all of that. But, uh, you know, I feel no urge to uh, to write about cooking anymore. I know that a lot of times women, and I've experienced this, and Olivia and I have talked about this, women, f women get a lot of pushback when they show themselves to be too ambitious, you know, to say, oh, I am have a job and I'm writing a book and I'm doing all of these other things. And people just look and say, wow, that's that's a lot. How do you do it all? And there's a bit of a bit of envy and a bit of embarrassment. Do you do you find that or has have you been doing this long enough now that it's no longer an issue or it never was? I don't know. I mean, I just find it normal. I mean, it doesn't really matter if you are, a, you know, if you are a man or woman I just find it normal to have ambition I mean you are in this world uh, I mean not saying to do great things but uh, you know we all have our abilities and we all know that you know if you have the capacity to do something you will never be satisfied if you don't feel you are using your capacity and uh, I don't I wouldn't really you know differentiate between men and women and uh, I simply don't accept that we live in a society where less is expected of women than of men <laughs> well I come from Iceland I lived in Denmark I live now in the UK and well I can of course see that there is a whole lot of 
difference in, in being a woman in, in the UK or in the Nordic countries. I mean, there is, uh, you know, there are light years between there. These countries, although they're very close by, but that's a whole, uh, whole different issue. But in terms of expectations, I think that, no, I don't, I don't want to, I wouldn't really want to say that, or I don't think that I have thought about my work differently because or because I'm a woman uh, or you know if I do I'm not aware of it but do you think other people could be intimidated because you're doing a lot of things like a podcast and radio and journalism and fiction and loads of things I think what Megan sometimes faces and me maybe to a lesser extent because I'm more in the corporate world but people maybe have a poverty of expectations or this opinion that you shouldn't be asking so much from life Megan I don't know if that was kind of what you were wanting to say. No, I think that's a really good way of expressing it. And and I, I think it's probably definitely geographic and cultural. And it just happens to be the, the country that I live in and the particular environment that I am in right now. But I love the way the way your answer is basically like, well, I don't know if anybody thinks that and it doesn't really matter because this is how I am and this is how I want to be. And that's the end. I, I think that's a great way to approach it. Yes, but yeah, well, uh, well, I'm glad you think so. Um, <laughs> but I, I mean, one thing, as I say, when you get older, you, you realize a lot of things about yourself, obviously, but you also learn a lot of things about other people. And one thing I've actually learned about myself, and I, I don't know why that is, but I have a very low sense of the importance of what other people think about me. So <laughs> I... That maybe because, uh, well, I, actually, I think I was always like that. Even, you know, growing up in Iceland with a very small community, everybody knows you. And, you know, in the grand scheme of things, people will know who you are. So I don't know why this is, but uh, I mean, I can only, only talk for myself personally. My awareness of what other people think about me is extremely low. And I, I mean, I can I can also see, I mean, there are, there are good sides and, you know, there are positive and negative sides to that. But in terms of sort of deciding what I want to do and how I want to use my time, it's probably good because I'm, you know, I'm extremely unbothered about what other people think about me. But I mean, it took me years to realize that not everybody was like me, I have to say. I guess, you know, I guess you could say I have an independent mindset or something like that. But I have basically, as I say, been blissfully unbothered about what other people think about me. It is a skill you can practice. I think it's also something you're born with. And I think it's something that does come with age. So it's, you know, maybe you're fortunate in, in that you got all, you, ha you now have all three factors uh, contributing to that sense. And it's definitely something that I, you know, I feel I loved when you said that you have these skills, you have this capacity, you want to do something with it. And if you don't, you're going to be unhappy. And, you know, I've always been that way, too, and have been very always been very straightforward about what I want and what I'm doing. It's been hard not to notice people's reactions to it. Maybe their reactions are stronger here. Maybe not. Maybe I'm I just see it more. But I do like I do like, I guess, sort of the to me, it seems encouraging and validating to say that it's okay to do that. It doesn't really matter. Yes, but I, I think also, yes, I mean, I definitely the you, you, you get more independent with age normally. I mean, uh, if mm. you kind of, you know, you, because I you've have. done. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I mean, we do things and, and we learn that we can, you know, we can function on our own and so on. But I think it's also important to 
And this is something I, I think I see a lot in younger people because everybody in, in, is on social media, which obviously brings everybody closer mm. to you yeah. and it makes it easier for everybody to be commenting on what you are doing. Mm -hmm. And I think that you people could also ask themselves, I mean, is it really important to know what people think about you? It's obviously important, you know, about the people who are closest to you, your, your family, the, the people you see every day. Obviously, you know, you don't want to upset, you know, the nearest and the dearest. But sort of the wider group of friends, if these friends don't condone what you're doing, drop the friends. I mean, they're obviously not right. very good friends, I have to say. This is true. I remember I heard a very interesting story many, many years ago. And that was in Iceland. And that was a lady who is, well, she will now be well into her 70s. When she was at the middle age at some point, she switched from teaching to creative activities, let's say. So she dropped the teaching and she basically became an artist and she made a, a living out of that. And she once told me that, you know, she met regularly with a group of friends, all women who had been with her to primary school and, and so on. And they had stayed in touch. So at that point, they had maybe known each other for 30 years. And she said, it was quite interesting. You know, when I switched my job, I dropped the teaching. None of these friends of mine asked about, you know, how my artistic activities were going. And you know, I, I was totally astounded. And I said, you know, why, why did you keep on seeing the trends? And so she said, well, they were important to me in other ways. And I just realized that, you know, this was my thing. I didn't need the, their acceptance, which was good for her. But <laughs> I think it's also interesting to, to think about, you know, what does friendship do to you? Is the friendship the kind of friendship that brings you on? Or is it the kind of friendship that wants to keep you in a certain fixed place and then you know at some point you need to think you know how valuable is this friendship to me so but now I'm completely <laughs> off the rails you know here in the sense that you know I'm, I'm going in a very different direction but in terms of writing you also think have to think you know what is it is there, is there something in your sort of immediate environment that keeps you from writing and then it's your choice to sort of encumber you from that Mm. Well, it's I. It's funny. One, I, what you were describing about friendship is exactly what I'm exploring in the novel that I'm writing. So that was fun. But oh, that's interesting. It's a brilliant topic. Well, it's just it's just so much a part of I think our lives. Um, but the yeah. other thing is something I have come to realize is people don't need to know everything that I'm doing anyway. Um, exactly. And yeah. I've never been a big sharer on social media. I think Olivia and I are just a hair too old or we missed it barely. That's not really a, a place that I share a lot anyway. But but even my, you know, my neighbors don't need to know every single, you know, you don't meet somebody and say, hi, my name is Megan and this is my job and this is the other thing. You know, you don't give them this laundry list of things you do anyway. Mm, mm, exactly. Yeah. So, and and people, people really are mostly interested in themselves. <laughs> anyway, they don't care what <laughs> you're doing. A, that's a dispiriting comment, but uh, yeah. Well, but, you, you know, and I think that's why our earlier discussion about journalism and asking questions, um, mm. that, you know, that journalism is not something I pursued past university, but I have found that this, the interviewing skills come in very handy in 
social conversations. Yes, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. There's one thing I wanted to to mention before we uh, stop and that's because you mentioned I think at some point Olivia that I had been doing very different things. That's true. And also in my writing I have done, you know, very different things, you know, children's book, sort of different types of of novel and now doing, you know, historical novels something entirely different. I'm not sure it's necessarily very good because I mean you write a novel and then it's sort of most people kind of stick to doing similar things but I think part of my curiosity I like to explore different themes and things and and ways of seeing you know in my fiction so it suits me and I'm I find it interesting to see when I when I see writers who do the same thing and I think that the the format or the uh, let's say the frame of the novel the time of the novel may differ but in some way i guess you know we are often sort of exploring the similar things but in 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 different format uh, or in yeah or in different frames so although i do these different things i there's probably some underlying similarities all the same but but as i say i mean i'm not sure it's good for your career in terms of writing but you know I've never thought about that anyway so so that's how it ended up well thank you so much Sigrun for joining our podcast and for being our first guest and I can also say uh just for the record that uh your food is very good and I know that from uh having been there it's delicious so (laughs) maybe I should get some of your cookbooks (laughs) they're all in Icelandic and you know it was yeah but, uh, but anyway. So anyway, thank you very much. And we just really appreciated it. My pleasure. So Megan, what did you think? She's super great, huh? No, I love her. I thought she was amazing. Um, I want to go get her children's book and an Icelandic dictionary and teach myself Icelandic so I can read her stuff. Um, no, but I just, I just really loved all that she had to say about how much she loves writing and all the different all the different forms of writing that she has approached and how each one has its own personality and its own feel. And I really got that. And I thought that was cool. Yeah. And it was fun for me because I've mostly seen her like in person. It was fun to just talk to her. And I don't usually get to quiz her that intensely about her writing and her life. And it's just, um, I think a lot of her ideas about how you balance things and whether you care what other people think and all of those things are things that you know I'll be playing in my head for a while definitely me too so that was really fun and we plan to bring on more guests if you're interested in being a guest or have a suggestion let us know you can send us an email at podcast at marginallypodcast.com or contact us on our website marginallypodcast.com as Olivia mentioned earlier the first four episodes were an explanation and exploration of our four themes But from now on, our regular format does look a little different. So next week coming up, we will be bringing you a mini episode, just 15, 20 minutes featuring writing prompts and maybe some other fun stuff. Um, So let's do our check-ins. Olivia, what do you have going on this week? Uh, So this week I have a really close, great friend visiting me this weekend. So I'm very excited to see her and show her uh, the city that I'm living in. She hasn't been out here in this part of the world before, I don't think, or at least not very much. And she's definitely not been to this particular city. Uh, And so I'm super excited to have her here. I'm interested to see if I'll do any writing, for example, like if I wake up before her or something like that. We'll see. 
Um, otherwise, I'm super close to hitting my goal for September, which is, well, in general, I'm trying to do 15,000 words every month right now so that I can kind of have a, a pretty solid draft by the end of November, which is the end of National Novel Writing Month. And we'll plug that a little bit more in the future. But yeah, no, so that's my goal. And I am pretty close. So I just need to kind of buckle down in the next couple of days. I'm hoping I'm flying to London for like 12 hours. So I'm going to hopefully use some of the time on the plane to do some writing as well. What about you, Megan? So I'm also traveling this weekend. Uh, My family and I are going up to New York for the weekend. So that will be a lot of fun, but also pretty tiring, quick turnaround. We leave Thursday night and I have an index project that I just got yesterday. So I am in the like sort of front loading stage of that where I try to do as much as possible every day at the beginning in case things get screwed up towards the end. Inevitably they do in my schedule. And I also have entered the pure revising stage of my second draft, which is pretty fun. It turns out that when you take three years to write a first draft, you learn a whole lot. (laughs) And the second (laughs) half is way better than the first half. Uh, So now I have just copied and pasted everything and I am actually you mentioned your word count and right now I'm focusing on trying to get a negative word count every day which is a total mindset change but (laughs) instead of having to just completely rewrite everything from scratch I'm going in and polishing and it's taken me about a week and a half to get into the swing of that because it just feels so different and you know, I am having to write some connective scenes in the in between, but it's not nearly the same undertaking. Mm-hmm. So that is what I'm doing. And I'm about two thirds of the way through the book. So I'm hoping that's exciting. It's really exciting. I'm actually I may hit my goal this week. I have about six scenes to go. So we'll see if I hit my goal of getting there. But yeah, so I that's what I'm doing. Do. I hope so, too. I hope you hit your goal. <laughs> Thanks. And uh, just for people who are new to our game, because we haven't shared it with you, uh, we've been recording voice memos about our progress, about how we're doing every week. And so we send them to each other. Now we'll be sharing some of the funnier or better parts (laughs) with you guys. You're so Uh, lucky. There's a lot of... (laughs) You're lucky. You're lucky we're editing it for you, to be honest. Um, (laughs) It ventures over frequently into other non-writing things. That's a secret, we'll tell you. Anyway... uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah so if you guys have writing updates that you want to send us then you can email it to us at podcast at marginallypodcast.com that's it and or send us any update you want on any of the other methods of communication that you hopefully are aware of already from previous discussions on this podcast (laughs) and if you're new that's my cue to jump in uh if you're new (laughs) welcome we're glad you're here we hope you stick around uh you can subscribe to us Uh, the links to subscribe on itunes stitcher or google play are on our website marginallypodcast.com you can send us an email olivia already mentioned that email Um, show notes will be up on the website as well and you can check us out on Instagram. That's also Marginally Podcast. And we're not on Twitter or Facebook, but if you are, that's cool. Feel free to share. That's it, right? Yeah, that's all. So thanks so much uh, for joining us. And we are excited to hear how all of your writing is. Have a good writing week. Have a good week. See you later. Marginally is produced by the two of us, Megan and Olivia. So excuse any amateur issues. We're working on it. Theme music is It's Time by Scotty Cowdy Casca. Show notes for every episode are available at marginallypodcast.com. Thanks for listening.
for a, for a whole hour been talking about myself so <laughs> that's quite something <laughs>